That song is exactly what the followers of Jesus were feeling on Friday night. They had been listening to Jesus for the last three and a half years teach powerful sermons. They had seen him do incredible miracles, but on Friday night, when he hung on that cross, there was a lot of doubt. And then Friday turned to Saturday, and their doubt turned to despair. And even when Sunday morning came, and the sun rose up, and Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't know that had happened. So even though the greatest event in human history had occurred, they still were in their doubt and in their fear. But Jesus had been getting them ready for that moment because as these followers of Jesus, the 12 apostles, and the larger group of disciples who had began to follow him and engage his teaching and give their lives over to him, he took them to school. He took them to school and taught them a lot about what it was to deal with doubt and fear and have questions and engage hard things. In fact, that's what we're going to do in this message series. We're going to look at some of those moments when Jesus looked at his followers, his disciples, and he said some things that were a lot like hard candy. Now, when you came in this morning and you walked underneath our slogan, if you will, our mission, Real Love Now, you walked into our lobby, you saw a lot of bowls there, glass bowls filled with candy. And by the way, my favorite one is on the end, the little blue mint, so just save those for me. Um, they're really good. I don't know what your, what your favorite hard candy is, but that, that, I like mints. And hard candy, you have to be a little careful with it, you know? Like, if you give it to a young kid, you're always concerned about them choking because, you know, it doesn't go down so easily. And if you have a lot of dental work, you bite hard, you might break something, right? So you have to be careful with hard candy. But if you slow down, you unwrap it, put it in your mouth, savor it, take your time. It's a lot of sweetness. A lot of sweetness over a long period of time. And that's what these harder sayings of Jesus are like for us. They give us a chance to go to school. To learn some spiritual lessons, that's what's going to happen today. You're going to learn some spiritual lessons that I think make the truth of the resurrection, that Jesus was dead, but he's not anymore. He really is alive, that make it even sweeter. That, that take this truth that's out there and helps us to apply it to our lives. Now, there's a few things we need to establish about Jesus. Maybe you don't know this about him, so if you're not all that familiar with church, welcome. We built this church largely with you in mind. But if you're unfamiliar, feel disconnected, we wanted to give you a place to come where you could engage spiritual things and not feel like an outsider. And the reason we did this is because our first point up here on the screen is that Jesus invites everybody to follow him. The people you might think that he invites to follow him, like they kind of have their lives together mostly. And he, you know, looks at them and says, hey, you kind of got it going on, you know, welcome. In interestingly enough, that's not at all what he did, really. What he did is he went to every single person who was broken imperfect. The Bible calls us sinners. He invited every single person. He said, look, without anything you have to do, but simply because I love you, because of my grace, I invite you to follow me. So he took people that you might think had it all together, but there was always an other side of the story. And he took people that you would look at and you would say, there's no way they would be invited to have a relationship with God. There's no way they could be deeply spiritual. And Jesus invited them all to come. And what's interesting about this invitational Jesus What's interesting about it is, is that being a sinner is kind of a prerequisite to being invited. There wasn't a single person that ever laid their eyes on Jesus that ever really had it all going on. There isn't a single person in this room that has it all going on. So if you come today with challenges, difficulties, questions, doubts, fears, you're in good company. In fact, not only is being a sinner a prerequisite to following Jesus, but to some degree having doubts is as well. 
Having doubts is also a prerequisite because what Jesus came to do was to give us life in him as we put our faith in him. And that journey from doubt to faith is a journey that every follower of Jesus walks. But there were these special moments when he wasn't just doing the miracles and he wasn't teaching powerfully and he wasn't telling profound stories alone, but he literally gave his disciples, his followers, the apostles, and the larger group called disciples. He gave them some nuggets of wisdom, hard things. And today, we're going to look at John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to go there. If you didn't bring one today, when we get to the passages, they'll be on the side screen. We're going to look at John chapter 6, the original hard sayings of Jesus, where his disciples, for one of the first moments in their life, went, oh, that's strange. That's not obvious. That's a little bit hard to understand. Now, the truth is, is that we all like some of the stuff Jesus says. Like when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. When he says, hey, if you're tired or heavy laden, come to me. Give me your burdens. When he says things like, neither do I condemn you. We love those. But the flip side of the coin is there's some hard things as well. Like when he says to one young man, go sell all of your possessions and give everything you own over to the poor, and then come follow me. Or when he says, hey, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You know, if we were to take Jesus' words literally today, there'd be a lot of blind people in this room, right? A few pirates, arr, you know, just kind of, yeah. Or, or, or when he says, hey, if somebody's hurt you, forgive them. I like what Mark Twain had to say about the Bible, and he said, it's not the parts that I don't understand that make it difficult for me, it's the parts I do understand that make it hard. Mark Twain's one of, my, one of my favorite guys to quote. You know what he said about Cincinnati? He said, if I knew the world were going to end tomorrow, I'd move to Cincinnati because everything happens there 20 years later. <laughs> I love that about it. John, John chapter 6 is a passage in our Bible that's profound. Maybe you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard a little bit about this passage. This is that passage where we find the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 men and women and children. So upwards to 15,000 people Jesus feeds. And they've been following him because he teaches like nobody else has ever taught. He teaches with authority. He teaches with insight. People are drawn to him. And they're following him. In fact, they kind of follow him out of the city where there aren't supermarkets and stores and McDonald's and you know, Chipotle, and so they're following out, and then they get hungry, because he's just talking on and on, and then there's no food to feed them, so a little boy donates five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus takes that little bit of stuff, and he blesses it, and he feeds everybody, not just feeds them, there's enough left over that everybody gets to take a chicken, a a fish sandwich home with them, so it's, it's like a major, major miracle, and coming off of that miracle, Jesus begins to teach them the miracle of the bread, He uses that to teach them about himself. And it's in this teaching about bread that we get some of the hardest things, the most like, wow, what are you really trying to say to me? Kind of moments in all of Jesus' teaching. So the beginning of John chapter 6 is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus turns away from the crowd and he looks at his followers. And he talks to his followers like he knows them. Like he has insight. I love these moments when Jesus is engaging the crowd, but often in the Gospels, he'll turn and then he'll talk to his insiders. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, these words are for you. And if you're not 
fully a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you want nothing to do with Jesus and you just came because somebody begged you to come and it's Easter and you're afraid if you didn't go to church on Easter, like, you know, lightning was going to strike or something. No matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum today, these words of Jesus are insightful and profound and honestly a little hard to swallow. So John chapter 6, verse 51 on the screens. Here's what our Bibles have to say. Jesus talking to his followers and he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I just fed you. I just fed you. In fact, that miracle was so profound that just a few moments later, after Jesus gets done feeding the 5,000, he gets in the boat and he goes over to a little city called Capernaum. People like walk around the lake and they catch up with them. And they're like, do that miracle again. That was awesome, Jesus. And so to that crowd, he looks at them and then looks at his disciples and says, look, just so you know what's really going on here. I'm the living bread come down from heaven. Now, there were people in that crowd when Jesus said, I'm the living bread come down from heaven. This would have been their reaction. They would have said, oh, come on. We've heard about you. All right, so there's some stories around your birth, but we know your mother and father, Mary and Joseph. You didn't come from heaven. Come on. It, it was odd for somebody to declare, I've come down from heaven. But that's not the only odd part about this passage. In fact, if you just continue in John chapter 6, verse 51, here's what the rest of that verse says. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus says, I'm bread. If you eat me, you're going to live. Parents grabbed their kids and said, let's get out of here. It's getting strange. This is a cult. If they pass out Kool-Aid, don't drink it. It's, it got weird really, really quick because this guy's claiming to be from heaven and now he's talking about the fact that he, he, like in himself, he's the bread and if you eat him, you're going to live forever. In fact, he goes on and he says, if you read the rest of the verses, in fact, I encourage you, go home and read John chapter 6. It'd be a great Easter reflection for you. He says that my body is actually real food. You thought that that miracle of the food was special? My body is actually real food. That food you'll eat and you'll be hungry, but you eat me, you'll never be hungry again. That's odd. And then he says, and my blood is the real drink that fully satisfies and you'll never be thirsty again. It's interesting, Jesus talking like this, because these are the very words that get used if you maybe grew up in a Catholic church or an Episcopal or Lutheran church every Sunday when you take communion or the Lord's Supper. This reference to the body and blood of Jesus and what it is and what it means. And in the first century, in the first century, the early Christians, these words actually caused for them a lot of trouble. When people didn't know much about the followers of Jesus, and they would get together in their little communities, small groups, and they would celebrate communion, and they would repeat some of the words from the Bible about this being the body of our Lord, there was actually a rumor that Christians were cannibals. And it caused a lot of persecution, right, from these difficult words that, on the surface at least, don't make a lot of immediate sense. So whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. In John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said to them, as if they didn't get it already, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. This, this is just odd language to hear. It, man, they loved the miracle. They're watching it. It's awesome. They loved it when he taught, but when he comes to these kinds of moments that over the next four weeks, including today being you know, the first of four, they just make you pause and say, all right, 
there's something else going on here. I'm, I'm just not clicking fully. In fact, here, let, let's look at their response. If you look at John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples, now not just the 12 apostles, but that large group, many of the apostles said, this is a hard teaching, that I've got to eat your body and drink your blood or I don't have any life. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Like, who can embrace this? Who can understand? What, is it? what are you even talking about? Now, verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Now, there comes a moment in the life of every follower of Jesus where something Jesus does, says, or requires of you offends you. It's just part of following Jesus. It's part of the school that he takes his followers to where he is more interested, <laughs> he's more interested in their development than he is in their comfort. In this illustrated, living out example of the miracle of the bread and the fish where he feeds. And Jesus is not going to use that to teach them a profound spiritual truth. He is more interested in their growth than he is in just making them feel good. This is something we have to understand about Jesus on Easter morning. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the same Jesus that walked around back then and taught and did miracles the same Jesus that we're learning about right now who was more interested in developing people and growing them than just keeping them comfortable and satisfied is the Jesus that's very much alive here in this room who wants all of us, no matter where you're starting from, whether you've like been with Jesus for 50 years, he wants all of us to know that he's very interested in our development. He is interested in your growth and mine. And a passage like this, slowly savored, unwrapped carefully, can help us get there. See, Jesus, Jesus is doing something that pastors generally don't like to do. I mean, in John chapter 6, he's at the pinnacle of his popularity. Multitudes are following him. It's the biggest day. And then he starts talking strange, and the crowds start following out. Now, the disciples loved the crowds, because the disciples believed that Jesus was coming to usher in a kingdom. He would be the king that would overthrow Rome, and their little nation state of Israel would finally be free. So they loved the crowds because the crowds stood between their little group connected to the king, and if he becomes the king and we're connected to the king, we kind of get kingly benefits. And then there's Rome and, the, and, and the, the, the Israelites that are kind of in bed with Rome. And between Rome and that power source and Jesus the coming king, there was the crowd serving as the buffer zone. And as long as the crowds are around, they had influence. But man, if the crowds start leaving... We might have some problems because those followers of Jesus, those early disciples were doing something that we're prone to do. They were looking at the crowds and getting their cues from them as opposed to listening and embracing and discovering all that Jesus wanted them to know as he talked privately with them. It's a tendency that a lot of followers of Jesus find themselves. And I, I find myself that way too. I can imagine the disciples thinking when Jesus started saying, I'm the bread, going, okay, I'm tracking. And then he says, uh, and so like, eat my body and drink my blood. They're like, whoa, somebody grab him quick off the stage. Matthew, run up there. Start telling some tax collector jokes. That'll get the crowd going. They like that stuff, right? Tell some of that parable stuff, Jesus. We don't really understand what it means, but doesn't offend us, or just do some more miracles. How about just go back to that blessed are the peacemakers stuff, or if you like Monty Python, blessed are the cheesemakers. Any 
Yeah, Monty Python fans in here? All right. You can look that up when you get home. So in John, in John chapter 6, verse 66, so it's 666. It's going to be bad, all right? John 666, here's what the Bible tells us. From this time, many of his disciples, many of his followers turned back and no longer followed him. It's too hard. It's too hard to embrace. It's too hard to understand. They didn't understand what was going on. It didn't make sense. And the Jesus they fell in love with, the miracle-working Jesus, the Jesus that there were all kinds of fringe benefits with, that Jesus didn't seem to be anywhere around. So Jesus looks at them and he says, in verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? This is what he asked the 12, the closest to him. Look, the crowds are leaving. What about you? Are you going to leave too? Wow, that's a great question. That's a great question when you come up against these moments in your journey of faith and it's difficult and it's hard and you're contemplating, am I going to stick with this? Or am I going to leave? This is appropriate to talk about on Easter Sunday because even after the resurrection had occurred, it was already a fact of human history. Dead Jesus was now alive. The disciples didn't know it. And they were very much in that place of, are are we going to stick with this? A couple of them had already kind of decided they weren't. Peter, we're going to read about in a little bit. Peter had already denied Jesus. And when he did, he felt incredibly regretful about it. But man, he blew it. Even after he swore he wouldn't. He'd come up against a personal hard moment of relational conflict and emotional turmoil. And he turned away. incredibly grateful that you're here today, but I'm no fool. I know that on Easter Sunday, we have a mixed crowd in the room. And there was a mixed crowd that day when Jesus fed the 5,000 and then they followed him around the lake and he leans in towards them and he says, eat my body, drink my blood. There was a mixed crowd. Just kind of sticking with the bread metaphor, there were some Wonder Bread followers of Jesus. You know Wonder Bread? Remember the old Wonder Bread? Great sandwich-making white bread, completely unhealthy, full of carbs, but man, tastes good. Wonder bread. Now, these wonder bread followers of Jesus, they followed him because everywhere he went, they were filled with wonder. He did miracles. They loved it. They loved watching him raise sick kids, heal lepers. They loved his teaching. It would wow them. I like to think about these as the what-can-you-do-for-me-Jesus kind of Jesus followers. They were the bless me, Jesus, the wonder followers. Bless me, Jesus. Bless my marriage. Bless my job. Bless my kids. Bless my vacation. Bless my blessing, Jesus. Bless me. And there's nothing wrong with that except that it's incomplete. And the wonder bread followers of Jesus like then and today, when you come up against the hard stuff, it's hard to stick it out because the wonder bread, even though it tastes great, isn't fully nourishing And even if it nourishes for a moment, it doesn't last. It's kind of like Christians with benefits. You've heard of friends with benefits? These are like Christians with benefits. As long as it's working for me, I'm good. But when you hear something you don't like, uh uh-oh, full stop. Put the brake on. Right? Pull pull, pull the handle. We're we're slowing down here. It's like, I love what Jesus has to say about relationships. I'm so, he's so awesome what he has to say about loving each other and treating each other right. But when you hear that he also says that when it comes to human sexuality, it's, One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage 
for a lifetime, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, and I like Jesus and all, but now you're meddling Jesus. Or you come up against one of those moments when Jesus is talking and you're a Wonder Bread follower of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, where your money is, where your treasure is, there's your heart, and you're like, all right, now, if I thought you were meddling over here in my private sex life, now you're in my wallet. You're really meddling, Jesus. And I like all that, you know, be kind to each other and, you know, treat each other, but don't mess with me and my decisions. So Wonder Bread Christians, when it gets hard, they get gone. Then there are the stale bread followers of Jesus. Like, they had a real, authentic, on-fire thing but it was a long time ago. Every once in a while, I meet one of these around here, and uh, like I don't know them, and they tell me a little bit about your story, and they'll say something like, hey, I grew up in church, and you know, and I just felt like it was time to get back. I'm like, that's awesome. And so a lot of times, just so you know, if like, you talk to me, I'll often say something like this. I say, tell me what's going on in your life spiritually right now. Right now. It's one of the reasons why, that question is one of the reasons why I rarely use the phrase, are you a Christian? And I ask a more active phrase, which is, question which is are you currently following jesus are you a follower of jesus like what's going on right now so it's not unusual for me to like have that conversation and they say i grew up in church and i say well good what's going on right now and they say well ben i i grew up in church like like my grandmother was really into church she took me to church all the time but but what about you like what's going on now and they're kind of like stale bread christians what they had was real but it's been a long time It's been a long time. And so that engagement with the bread that is Jesus has gotten kind of old. It's interesting. In John chapter 6, after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, you got the one group saying, do it again, do it again, do it again. Like, we love that stuff, Jesus. Keep bringing the miracles. The Wonder Bread Christians. And then just a few verses later, you got a group of people saying, hey, Jesus, we get the whole bread thing. Remember? Remember this? It was our ancestors that ate the manna. Remember, remember, my grandfather, they ate the manna. And Jesus was like, yeah, that was your grandfather. What about you? All right, so your parents raised you in church. Thank God for that heritage. What about you? Where are you? Wonder bread followers and stale bread followers. And here's Jesus saying, look, I know it's a little hard to understand. I know it's not immediately obvious. I know that like, you have to kind of dig through this a little bit to get to it. But I am the bread of life. I nourish every day. I'm always fresh. I'm always in season. I'm always on time. I'm always right for you. Here we are on Resurrection Sunday. I think if God wants to do anything in our congregation at large and probably in your life as well, is he wants you to know that religious engagement isn't the point, but a personal vibrant relationship with the resurrected Jesus is. And we could, and it would be appropriate to just do a typical Easter sermon where we just acknowledge the resurrection. That's fine. We've done that sort of thing in here. But in prayer, we decided that today what we would do is we try to make the resurrection not just something we talked about, but something we embraced. That Jesus really is alive, and this changes everything. It changes everything for you. It changes everything for me. It changes everything for our world. Because it's not about some religious engagement. Thank you for being here on Easter. We're going to have a big crowd today. Our pastors need that. My ego is fragile. I needed you to be here today. 
But more importantly, it's Resurrection Sunday. When's the last time you feasted on the living Christ? That experience you had, that last one that really moved your soul, is it still nourishing or is it time? Is it time again? So it's been hard. Yeah, you know the thing about hard times and followers of Jesus? You're either in it now or you just came from it or you're about to go through it. Because that's just the truth. That's why Jesus pauses here in John 6 before the crucifixion. And he says, we got to get past the surface. we got to deal with some internal stuff. You need to know this about me. I will always nourish you. But you got to take it. you got to take it. You can't just go for the miracles. You can't rely on your ancestors eating the manna. You have to partake. You have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. And in that way, in that way, the life-giving essence that is me, the one from heaven, and that way I bring you life. There's always going to be a time when you wonder. But it's at this moment when Jesus asks the twelve, are you going to leave me too, that Simon Peter in verse 68 speaks up, and the Bible says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, what am I going to do if I don't stick with you? This is a profound question. It's a question I want to give you as a tool to engage in your times of doubt, in times when it's hard for you. In fact, I'm, I'm so committed that this question can bring clarity in times of doubt and confusion and question and hardship, that I kind of want us to say it together. So if they'll put it up on the screen, when I count to three, will you just say this with me? To whom shall we go? Would you ready? One, two, three. To whom shall we go? Now I'd like you to make it personal and say, to whom shall I go on the count of three? One, two, three. To whom shall I go? This is a clarifying question because it begs us to evaluate some options that are in front of us. At times of question, we have some options in front of us. Stick it out with Jesus. Let him nourish me in this moment. Let him be my sustaining force in this moment or go somewhere else. Now, when do moments like that come up on us? Well, our questions often come up in times of transition. Maybe you work for Pack and Go. Maybe you call it P&G, all right? But you work for Pack and Go, and every couple years you're getting moved around. And so like you were in your church and you loved it, but then you moved, right? Maybe it's not P&G. Maybe, maybe you moved and you had a community, but you don't now. And so in a time of transition, it's just really difficult to look around and say, you know, where's my support network? Or somebody you love passes on. And you say, where's God now? So transition can be a time of questions. And tension can be a time of, of real question with Jesus. So people who are often with Jesus don't they rarely ever stand up and say, I just don't believe it anymore. I rarely hear that as a pastor. Ben, I used to believe, but I just don't believe Jesus, and I don't believe in the resurrection anymore. They rarely say that. Here's what they usually say if they're being honest. I believe it. It just doesn't seem like it's relevant anymore. It doesn't seem like it matters anymore in my life. It doesn't seem to, like when I was a kid, it mattered. When I was a teenager and I was in youth group, it mattered. But now I'm in college, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. So sometimes in times of transition or tension or perhaps in temptation, People say, I wonder if Jesus really matters, and I wonder if I'm going to stick with him. That's the right time to ask, to whom shall we go? Because in times of 
tension and transition and temptation, those doubts can linger and doubt can turn to despair. Hardship can become a barrier and we turn away from the life-giving bread that is Jesus. I see this when a young man or a young lady grows up in the church and then they meet her. You know, he meets her and she's beautiful. Like, wow, smoking hot, beautiful. And he reasons to himself, he says, you know what? Anybody can be a Christian, but only a few people to get, beautiful, get to be beautiful. And so I'm, I'm going to go with beautiful. And that temptation kicks in, or they think, look, I'm lonely, and I've been waiting, and I know he's not a believer, but, but I'm so lonely. And man, if I, I just want a husband. And I'm more afraid of being lonely than I'm afraid of bringing this person who doesn't share my faith into my life. And so here we are in a moment of temptation. And in moments of transition, temptation, and tension, it's real easy to find yourself on the fence like some of those early followers of Jesus. That day, the Wonder Bread followers or the Stale Bread followers, or perhaps when there's times of trouble, when you feel like you kept your end of the deal and God let you down, and it's really hard, and people are saying things about you that aren't true, and you've been misunderstood. And man, betrayal, isn't that the worst of human emotions? And you look at it and you say, where's God in all this? You get flooded with doubt. It's at those moments, transition, tension, trouble, and temptation, that I think that's when we have to go to the question that Jesus asked. What about you? Are you going to stick with me? And this are, these are where Simon Peter's words become incredibly powerful. Lord, where else are we going to go? Where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like he considered his options. Yeah, we could go. We could go with the crowd. I could go with the Wonder Bread crowd. I could go with the Stale Bread crowd. I can go kind of make it on my own. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Even though I don't like where I am right now, you are the source of my sustaining power. And they understood it on that day. But he was teaching them, wasn't he? Because it would just be a few weeks later that they would all come face to face with a major disappointment. The man who they thought would be king would be hanging on a cross. I think Peter recognized something that very few people understand or they understand it too late. The idea that if I back away from my faith, if I back away from Jesus, if I go the Wonder Bread route or the Stale Bread route, if I reject Jesus in this moment, what I'm really doing by backing away from him, I'm moving close to something else. A her or a him or an opportunity or away from a fear or in a relationship trying to manage some of the chaos in my life. By saying no to Jesus, by rejecting him, I'm actually saying yes to something else. In fact, whatever you say no to does, in fact, move you towards some other reality. So before you say no to Jesus today, before you reject him, if you find yourself in times of tension and trouble in the future, before you say no to him, like the crowds who left, so much so that Jesus looks at his original 12 and he says, are you too going to go? Like the crowds who left, instead of doing that, I think you owe it to yourself to ask, if not Jesus, then who? In time of transition and trouble and temptation, if not Jesus, who? Who is it for you? And if not the Christian faith, then what? What are you committed to? 
And this gets exceptionally hard when you remember that Jesus is really not that concerned about your comfort. So if that's your highest priority, it's very, very difficult to grow in your faith. He's very concerned about your development, my development. And that means we go to school, spiritual growth school. That usually happens most in times of transition and temptation and difficulty. That's why Jesus, as painful as it was to watch the crowd leave, why he loved his followers enough to push those hard moments. That's why I'm asking you to go on a journey with me, beginning with this Sunday and for the next three after, of looking at some of these hard statements to simply ask God, what can we unpack? What is it you'd like to say to us as you want to develop us, as you're more concerned with our development as a follower than you are my comfort as a human? It makes us turn away from just the stuff we like about Jesus and embrace him even when he leans upon us. So before you say no to Jesus, if not Jesus, who? If not the Christian faith, then what? And if not now, when? Before you say no to Jesus, make sure you know who you're going to go to if you're not going to go to him. Because it can be hard to follow Jesus. He will call you to come. And then give your life. I think Peter knew in that moment that when you stop following Jesus, you step down. And when you stop following Jesus, you step out. Now, it's a lesson that he gleaned in that moment. A little bit later on, he would fail. But because he had been to school a little bit, when he failed, he remembered. Literally, he had regret. The Bible says he repented. He turned away from his failure when he denied Jesus and he went back to the living bread. And he found nourishment there. That's an opportunity that is available to each one of us because Jesus really is alive today and he is not dead. In just a few days, all of those disciples we've been talking about would get a glimpse of the eternal life that they would have through Jesus when they discovered that the rumors that he was no longer dead were in fact not rumors. So let me ask you. Who are you going to go to when things get tough? If not Jesus, who? And if not the Christian faith built upon the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we put our faith and trust in that. Paul wrote it this way, that we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that God raised Jesus from the dead, and in that we're saved. If not the Christian faith, then what? Because if you reject that, Because maybe you're a wonder bread, or it's just stale, or maybe you never knew. If you reject him and you say no to him, then what are you going to do? That's a question you're going to have to answer. I hope you'll answer it today. And in answering it, in pondering it for just a few moments today, what we're doing is we're taking the truth of the resurrection, that Jesus was dead, but he is not. And we're beginning to apply it to our lives. So no matter where you're starting from today, here's what Jesus would say to you and me. I'm the bread of life. And when you take me in, when you take me in all of me, the parts you enjoy, the part that motivates you, stirs your soul, and the parts that rock you to the core, when you take me in, in taking me in, there is life. Life of purpose, meaning. You don't just live, but you live. You actually have something worth dying for and something worth giving your life for. 
You get all of heaven, and you get an incredible, rich life here. Not easy. Listen, if you believe the Christian message was just for the emotionally feeble, you misunderstood the Christian message. Jesus was clear. It is not always easy. He was clear in his teaching. He was clear in his death when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate that death and hell could not hold him, which means no problem you're facing today can stop the forward movement of God in your life if you'll let him in, if you take him in. So maybe, maybe, you, you know, I don't know, but maybe if you were just honest, you would say, I have in fact been a wonder-bred Christian. Like, as long as it was good, I was there. But the moment Jesus said something to me I didn't like, I took a step back. If that's been you, today, today, you can literally take him in. In a deeper and a more meaningful and more honest way. Or if you were honest today, maybe you would say, Ben, the truth is, I have been a stale bread follower. And my last real encounter is so old. Now, I really couldn't answer the question, what is God doing in my life these days? Listen, that's you today. Because Jesus was dead and he is not dead anymore. Today, you can take him in. And in taking him in, you take in all of that eternal life-giving force that he brings us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And you get all of heaven one day when you die, but you get all of life with God here and now. Any notion that this is for the emotional, emotionally feeble or the emotionally weak needs to go away because this is not for the faint of heart, but oh, it's refreshing nonetheless. I think this hit me when I was uh, married about a year and a half. I got married and uh, I had a year and a half of college left, so I got married in college, got married young. I don't regret it. It's not for everybody. It was good for me. And then I went to seminary, which is the school you go to if you want to be a pastor. And I couldn't have been more eager, more excited to get on to my life with God. I, I loved the things of God. I loved the benefits that came with being a follower of Jesus. I loved his teachings. I loved everything about it. And I was at Asbury Seminary, and uh, I got a call from my mom, and she says, hey, I found a lump, and that lump ended up being cancer. And I had some emotional turmoil. And I've been married a year and a half or so, just long enough to where the honeymoon really was over. And I began to discover new levels of reality of what it means to be married. I'm not even going to go any further than that. You know what I mean. And so, like, I had some relational turmoil. And, and graduate school is expensive. And I had a full-time job with part-time pay. Anybody else ever done that? And so my full-time life wasn't fully funded. And so we had some financial turmoil. And I found myself sitting in an empty church sanctuary asking God, where are you, God? And here I was on the brink of the journey that I believe God had called me. I was so excited. And with just a few challenges, real, they were real. Oh, listen, they were real. I'm finding myself in that position like the crowds going, I don't like this. I don't like this. And I'm asking myself, am I even going to do it? Am I even going to do the thing I know that God has put in front of me? And I was this close this close. And I've been this close a few times before. And I'm telling you, friends, if you're this close, 
the only real source of strength we have isn't you just picking yourself up again and trying harder. It is that in Jesus there is nourishment for your soul. There is a second, third, and tenth, and one hundredth chance. He really is the bread of life. And I remember saying, if I don't do this, what else would I do? And not because I was wise, not because I was smart, because I've wanted a lot. But in that moment, I decided to keep going. Not back up, but keep going. And maybe I'm wrong here today, but I think God has been pressing on some of your hearts to say, don't give up. Keep going. It really is worth it. And I bet he's been saying to some of you, look, you've had it on the back burner. It's time to bring it back up front again. My relationship with Jesus, you should be saying to yourself, some of you, is more important than I've been living it lately. And today, because Jesus was dead, but he's not anymore, that living bread is available to you and to me and everybody driving up and down I-75 right now. Oh, Easter's a good day. It's a good day because this is the day when the hardest things in life are proven no match for our risen Savior. Now, with that said, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to grab out that Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. The first step I'd like you to consider today, right there on the front of your card, right underneath your name and email, is next step A. It's today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know who needs to check this box, but I bet you do. I bet you know whether or not this has been something you've even been thinking about for the last several months. I bet some of you know that you're not here by accident today. But God, I believe, supernaturally, by His Spirit, ordained for you to be here. And while I've been talking, you have felt the pull. That's God's call to you, saying, come, take me in. Come, take me in. I'm available. Here's what I'd like you to do then. I'd like you to take your pen and check next step A, which says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Here's what you're doing when you check that box. You're by an act of your faith saying, God, I agree with what the Bible says about me. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Like you can't come arrogantly when you come hungry. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And then I'd like you to take that card and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. In a moment, I'm going to pray. You can use my words. You can use your own. I'm going to give you an opportunity to look to God and say, God, would you save me? I put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's the only way for me to have a relationship with God. I believe he was dead, but he's alive. Or how about next step B? Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. We're going to celebrate with a handful. First service, I got to baptize my youngest son. Oh, it's a wonder I'm able to make it through the message today. I just so overcome with gratitude. That's the way your Heavenly Father feels about you when you say yes, and then He asks you to go public with your faith through baptism. If you haven't been baptized, check that box. We'll be in touch with you. Here's next step C. How about memorizing John 6, 69 that says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's the verse that Peter gave. Lord, where am I going to go? We have come to believe that you're it. You're it. You are the it. And I think that by memorizing that verse, you can hide it in your heart. So when you come to times of transition and trouble, you can say to yourself with the scriptures, with Peter, with God's spirit in your life, God, you are the Holy One of God. And I'm in you and you're in me. 
How about next step D? Here's the prayer I'm praying every morning this week. I invite you to pray it with me. Check the box. I'll send you an email that reminds you. It says, God, today, help me to follow you because you have the words of eternal life. Help me to follow you because you have the words of eternal life. That's how I'm beginning all my mornings this week. Check the box. I'll send it to you Monday afternoon, and you can join with me. Or here's next step E. I wonder, we began a conversation today. I wonder if you'll hang with me for the next three weeks to continue this conversation. So next step E says, I'll make a real effort to attend each week of the Hard Candy Message series. uh, Something may come up. You may not be, but just check the box. I'm going to go ahead and engage spiritual school and look at some of the harder stuff that Jesus had to say. Are you bold enough to do that? Check that box. Why don't you put your card down? Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world. Thank you. Thank you that he gave his life, but he isn't dead anymore. He's alive. God, I want to bow my head with every person in this room right now and acknowledge that you are the bread of life. You sustain. You nourish. You really bring eternal life here and now. God, I lift up those that are declaring right now, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sin. Lead my life. Be my Lord. Give my life to you. God, I pray for our guests today. They walked in just coming to an Easter service, but today your spirit moved on their hearts, God. Seal this moment and the good work that has begun today. Let it continue even this week as we declare your words and pray your prayers. I ask all these things in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, the strong and risen Son of God. Amen and amen.